out there, all you Lasso-holics, and welcome back to Peanut Butter and Biscuits, the Ted Lasso fan cast from the Front Row Network on NPR Illinois. Um, it is a great day. It is, as we say, the best part of your week because you just watched Ted Lasso, and we are getting all into episode seven here. Um, on this episode, Ted has entered therapy. Uh, Keely and Roy hit a little bit of a rough patch, and we are not all okay with it. And Nate the Great is showing a not-so-great dark side here, folks. But uh, I'm Jeremy Geckner, uh, the editor of the Fur Row Network, and here with me, as always, my co-host on Peanut Butter and Biscuits, Mr. Craig McFarlane, the Associate Editor-in-Chief. What's up, man? Hey, not much. Like you said, it's great. Uh, great time to be alive. We get to watch Ted Lasso, uh, and we get to go into the weekend watching Ted Lasso. It's perfect to drop this on Friday. I'm really glad that these episodes come out then because it just sends you nicely into the weekend to watch them. Absolutely. And we've got some dark waters ahead on this one. But before we get into that, um, we have another special guest with us here this week, direct from the Disney Dads podcast, the co-host, Mr. Justin Souter. What is up, man? I couldn't be happier as the official, I'm going to say official, uh, uh, president of the Roy Kent fan club. There we go. I am so excited to be here, boys. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Well, he's already got the background. I mean, look at that. We got we got the Richmond logo, Dubai Air. He is in the press room um, at the stadium, I think, right now. Is that correct? I'm ready to answer any and all questions you can throw at me. Go <laughs> ahead. Mr. Trent Krim. Yes, from The Independent. Yes, there we go. Hey, and we got a Trent Krim signing in episode seven here. Um, look, we're going to get into all of the craziness of this episode. This show is getting really deep in this episode. But Justin, before we do, you are a co-host of an amazing podcast, The Disney Dads. We've been listening for a long time while we're here at the network. But please, for anybody that might not know, give them the rundown of The Disney Dads podcast. Yeah, certainly. It's a family-friendly, fun show that's built all around the Disney parks, Disney movies. Uh, it was started about four and a half years ago with me and a couple buddies, and it has grown and grown and grown over the years. And uh, it is just a great, great group of people. Uh, of course, you can find our podcast anywhere you want to look for podcasts. You can also find us if you enjoy all positivity, all Disney, all the time. Uh, come over to Disney Dads Podcast Family on Facebook. Join there. We share pictures. People share stories. It's really just an uplifting. It's a lot like Ted Lasso an uplifting, positive place to be. You I can't better endorsement. <laughs> I know I can't recommend it enough, you know, especially that community that you've built over there. It's just so many great people talking positively about their day and about Disney and about uh, just things that they love. And so definitely check out that podcast for sure. Also, I wanted to throw in a little bit of a plug for uh, the same day that this is dropping in your feed uh, for peanut butter and biscuits. If you head over to our front row network feed, you will hear a conversation that Jeremy and I were able to have with Alan Menken. So oh, it is uh, quite <laughs> the <that>? conversation. <laughs> so not to, not at all to uh, limit where Justin is in our hierarchy of guests this week, because we are so thrilled that you're here, Justin. Dude, that's pretty but, clear. He's on top. All right? I was going to say, I'm sure Alan knows you know, yeah, I mean, where I mean, he stands. Alan knows. <laughs> Alan knows. But definitely go and check that out over at the Front Row Network as well and or Beyond the Mouse, which is my Disney show. So it, it's just fun. You know, Ted Lasso, Disney, it totally makes sense that these things go together yeah it's all happy places i love it exactly and of course as we know ted has a lot of conspiracy theories on the freemasons because of the disney movies he watched as a kid so uh, another little nugget that we found out this year but we are going to be diving in here on episode seven and man oh man stuff is getting real folks now i find this funny because 
tracking these uh, fan groups and message boards and stuff, there's a lot of people that are feeling like the season is a little bit sporadic and that there's, you know, kind of no through line. But I think that now they're finally going to be happy because there is some real payoffs in this episode. But as I said at the top, we got three main stories that are going throughout this episode. One is the relationship between Roy and Keeley. The other is Ted entering therapy with Dr. Fieldstone. And then, of course, the other is Nate's relationship with his own celebrity. And I have a feeling that's going to be the one we dive into a ton here. But let's just get started right at the top of the episode here. We start off with this really fun montage of uh, Roy Kent and Keeley getting ready for work in the morning and heading in. And you start to get the sense here that Keeley might be getting a little annoyed that Roy is all around, always around her and stuff like that, to which all of the women who watch Ted Lasso say, how dare you, Keeley? Um, but this is a really funny thing. Uh, I really thought it was great when he was just there behind the refrigerator door as much as I love Brett Goldstein. That would kind of freak me out too. Um, but uh, this is a fun opening. Justin, since you're our guest here, let's get started here. What do you think of this opening here with Roy and Keeley uh, as we sense some friction here? I love the fact we get the character development of Roy Kent over the years and, and the, or over the episodes. And this is the, I think the quintessential uh, peak of Roy because you realize that he is this needy, lovable person that just wants to be with Keeley from sunup to sundown, follow around like a puppy dog. And it's weird. I think we've all been, I'm an only child and I understand that I need my, my space. My wife uh, knows that I need my time. And we've all dated people that maybe are around more than, uh, than they should be. And you start to see Keely just have those little breaks. You can see her face and, and, and she plays it so well. Uh, you know, as she's hiding it, that she still loves him. She loves that he's there. But I love the story arc with Roy Kent. I think that Brett Goldstein plays it so well. And this episode for me may be one of his best, uh, just the way he plays this entire part. Yeah, I completely agree Fred, with you, you, Justin. I, you know, uh, what I love about the writing is that it's, it's so smart and the song choice is often yeah. so sm <laughs> smart as well because this immediately, I don't know about you guys, but this immediately put me to Groundhog Day. Yep. So <laughs> when you're listening to I Got You, Babe, and then uh, to me, it's like, oh, I totally get where Keeley's coming from. It's like she's stuck in Groundhog Day because Roy is always there. And so mm -hmm. it made that parallel connection without them even saying that. And it's just, again, the, the writing of this show is just so brilliant. And then they're picking amazing music to go along with it. I loved this opening. And yeah, you know, you said all the women out there, but I mean, I think Justin and I would agree that like, we'd like to be around Roy Kent all the time as Dude. well. I, I I would not go against if he said, can I follow you around and just curse at you? I would say, sure. Come on. Right behind me. Just, you know, and then call me names. I can deal with this. We I go, love it. We would go to his podiatry appointments, right? Yeah. I would run through a brick wall for Roy Kent. Okay. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> Well, the, I mean, what else needs to be said about that? But yeah, I agree with you, uh, Craig. I went immediately to Groundhog Day and I like that. I don't know why it's just great writing, I guess, but like, even when you sense friction in a relationship like this that you do not want because you love these two characters, but you're right. Like it's still handled in a very respectable way and probably a more realistic way too. Um, I would, I would at least hope here, but um, that we will come back to more of that. But before we even get our big opening, we also then get a scene of Nate uh, going and reading his Twitter following after his great decision in the Tottenham game. And uh, he's going back to his house and we see a little bit more of this dynamic 
uh, between his father and uh, not only his father and his mother, um, but also between him and his father and him and his mother. This is a fascinating, I think, scene to really um, delve into what Nate is going through, not only in this episode, but in this season. Um, Craig, what about what did you think of this dynamic that Nate has with his father here that we saw a little bit in episode five and now is getting expounded on? Some of Ted Lasso is also helping me to be a better father, right? <laughs> because it, it's showing you great examples, uh, whether that be Ted's connection with his son and, and trying so hard to have that connection from across the pond, uh, or it's Nate and his dad. And, you know, it's, I, I don't know what kind of road Nate is going down ultimately towards the end of this season, but I'm not liking it a ton <laughs> because it, 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 what is happening is that now that he's getting some kind of uh, prestige out there in the media, all of his bad traits and qualities are getting highlighted in his own mind. And so he's like, oh, this must be what I have to do in order to be able to get that attention. And we all have all known those people that are just kind of too smart for their own good. And then once they get some credit for being too smart for their own good, then they really want you to know how smart they are. And that's exactly what's happening to Nate here. But it's also, he's just trying to live up to those expectations of his father. You know, he's already fighting to get them the seat by the window. And now he's in the paper and still nothing, nothing from his dad, not even a little shred of like, <laughs> hey, good job, son. You know, it's it just like, I, so I can understand why the character is having this dilemma of trying to kind of put on this persona like he thinks he is the smartest in the room and that he is going to have all the right decisions because really he's just trying to live up to anything in his dad's mind. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, I think that most of what we're seeing here is um, kind of a shadowing of what Keeley told Nate when uh, they were training him to try and get that table at that Greek restaurant where she said, you don't want to mess around with fame. And I'm wondering if there was a little something she was seeing there, maybe in a little personality trait with Nate. What do you think of that? I think Nate is teeter-tottering between uh, uh, ego and 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 confidence. Mm. You know, and as we see his dad, his dad's almost forcing the teeter-totter towards the ego because mm. even with confidence, he can't win his dad's approval. And so he just needs to keep going more and more and more because you can tell that's what he wants more than anything. Mm -hmm. And so he thought, if I'm the wonder kid, then here I am. You know what I mean? My dad's going to approve. I'm in the paper. You know, he, you can tell that his dad spends every morning with the paper because yeah. his mom says, oh, you're yelling at the paper again, are you? <laughs> you know? And so he thinks, here I am on this thing that spends time with my father every day, probably more time than Nate has in his lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's finally a part of that. And it's a bridge between the two. But yet he still just gets absolutely nothing. And that's why I think you see him dejected, but I think you also see that ego growing every time he's put down by his father. Mm. Mm, absolutely. And I, I think you are right on there. And I think, you know, the more we're seeing of this season, and I've seen this on a few of the message boards too, but I think that the relationship between fathers and sons is playing a huge mm. part in this whole season. Um, you know, and I think that we're really seeing, and this is something that I noticed the last time I watched uh, episode six, when Ted was having his panic attack do you, I mean, I'm sure you guys caught it. What was the tinnitus ringing in his ears? It was his son saying something to him, saying Jamie Tart, the Jamie, you know, when he first <laughs> met him in season one. And then it's Jamie's father yelling at him 
when he passed on that goal in the final matchup of season one. And so there is a lot of subtext going on here with fathers in this series. And Justin, you are right on with, I think with that newspaper analogy, he's like, Oh, you know, my dad spends so much time with the newspaper. Now there I am. And all he can muster is a proverb about, you know, not thinking too highly of yourself, Mm -hmm. which by the way, in a vacuum is actually kind of pretty good advice, but you know, coming in the way that it's delivered, I mean, that's gotta be even more gutting. Yeah, I think his dad really does have Nate's best interest at heart overall. I just think the delivery is absolute garbage. It's mm. terrible. Yeah. And so, you know, I think he wants his son to succeed and he wants his son to be better. But he's one of those dads that's like never said I love you or never hugged you or never. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think that just the delivery of it never comes across. But in his mind, maybe his you know generation or whatever, that's the way he thinks is right. Mm. And Nate just cannot wrap his brain around it. He just cannot. He's like, I can't do enough for this guy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Craig, anything else on that? I would just add that I think you're right with looking at the fathers and their impact. But I'd also say that this season, we are getting a lot of that with from Roy as well. Mm-hmm. Because even though he's not Phoebe's dad, uh, certainly standing in for that relationship. And I'd also say that in the way that he's coaching, I think that we're going to see more of a father-son relationship between him and Jamie, honestly. Uh, I hope uh, That's so. a prediction <laughs> that I have moving forward because you do see that uh, relationship building between the two of them, that trust building that would have never been there in season one. But now we get to explore that and kind of peel back the onion a little bit. So I would include, and you know, I, I wanted to make sure that because Justin would certainly defend him if we didn't. Uh, we, I wanted to make sure that we added Roy to the list of uh, fathers, uh, quote unquote, in this show as well. Well, done. he doesn't even want to be a father, but he yeah. is to so many, you know, yeah. so it's, it's fantastic. To no, at least three are. of us here, right? Yeah. Can, yeah, I, we're, can we're, I raise my hand? I hope it's me. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I'll put my part in there too. Um, But the other big through line, we're going to get to more of Nate's uh, interactions with Colin here in a second. But the other big through line of this episode is, of course, Ted's sessions with Dr. Fieldstone. Ted finally in therapy after his breakdown in episode six, wanting to make an appointment as the last line of episode six here. Um, These were absolutely tremendous to me. And again, if people are, if anybody's out there like doubting the bona fides of of Jason Sudeikis winning a awards. I mean, just look at these scenes because the subtext here is all over the place and I'm absolutely loving it. We learned so much about Ted's I don't even know if you want to say like viewpoint on life, but definitely of the journey that has kind of put him in this position here. Um, you know, this very first interaction where he basically tells her like yeah, you know, I went to therapy with my wife and yeah, it didn't work. So I don't really see the point of this and uh, just a fantastic way that he just like, you know, he's like, oh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm not doing this. And he just walks away and stuff. I just thought this was great. Uh, Justin, what did you think of this first interaction here with Dr. Fieldstone? You know, when Dr. Fieldstone first came on the show, I didn't know how to approach her character. Yeah, I was a little off taken by it. Um, she was so just off in the corner, didn't want to be a part of anything. And as her character line has moved and progressed, I really am starting to enjoy her interaction with Ted. Uh, one of my favorite things about the first scene when Ted is sitting in the chair, I love the, oh, so should I lay here? I'll do the yes. luge. I'll do the, you know, because it's that awkward Ted energy that he so doesn't much know. nervous energy. Yeah. Oh, he cannot control it. And he's just, that's the way he deals with stress is he has this nervous energy. And the one point in this episode, when I think you see it the most 
is when he mimics the bobbing head of the bird on the desk. You know, he moves it. And if you watch him as she's speaking to him, he just starts doing the same thing the bird's doing mm -hmm. because he can't control it. He doesn't know what else to do because she won't let him do these Ted-isms. Uh, you know, she's like, no, we're not doing this. And so he just, it's almost like watching a three or four-year-old making them sit still for a long period of time. He's going crazy sitting in that chair. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Like there's also that moment where she finally kind of calms him down a little bit and he looks back at the bird and instead of nodding, he literally just ever so slightly goes no to it mm -hmm. until it stops moving. You're right. That is amazing. Like amazing writing, amazing acting there. Craig, what else did you think of this uh, scene here with Dr. Fieldstone? I, you know, I think it's one of those things that in this comedy show that we have that we're all loving, it's an important reminder and it's an important uh, window into that world of therapy as well. I mean, you know, there's so many barriers to people wanting to go and talk to somebody and it's showing you exactly why that's the case. It's, mm -hmm. it's showing and hopefully we're going to get this relationship to continue to build and, you know, at some point, hopefully there's some kind of breakthrough there because what that does is it allows the viewer to say like, oh, maybe this isn't as intimidating as I think it is. So I'm always thinking about the external factors that are going on. I think probably right now we all need therapy more than we ever have. <laughs> and this is a show where it's showing you throughout Ted's uh, lessons here and what Ted's learning and revealing of himself that this is something that could be really helpful, but it's also very intimidating and very scary. And so it's okay that that's the case. And that's why I see in this nervous energy and you're, you're absolutely right, Jeremy, just the, the way that it was shot was great. Uh, Justin, you definitely captured like that, just pent up. He doesn't know what to do with himself. Um, it, it all comes through so well to paint that picture of anxiety and nervousness that are going into this session. Well, I think Sarah Niles plays it so well, too, in the fact that it's hard to be an actor and play your part without words. Mm. She sits there and allows him to just be in this moment of utter chaos. Now, all around him doesn't look like chaos, but she even allows him to talk about the mistrust, like you were saying, of the whole process. And she just plays it so well with such minimal dialogue. And even his meltdown, she doesn't even say anything. She just looks and kind of goes, okay, mm -hmm. I'll see him again. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a perfect segue because I, I do want to talk about that second session before we get into the last one, which is that you're right. Like he does come back, you know, just kind of knocks and sits down. Like again, that kind of like, I do like that he skips, you know, the whole mm -hmm. pleasantry part of this um, because you're right. Like she's been the one ever since the beginning, doesn't it? Like, she figured him out like right like that. You know, her very first worst is just like, oh, so this is how you bond with people. Like, oh, I get it. It's disarming um, and everything. And so like, yeah, she sees the cards he's playing. And the fun thing about the rest of this scene, though, is that this is where we do get. It's not just something like, oh, it didn't work for me and my wife. He has a very, very fundamental hatred, it seems, of therapy and uh, or at least very scared of it is probably the, the sense that I got from the second interaction here where he's like, why do you charge for an hour when you only do 50 minutes? You know, and I and this is where we finally see Ted really <laughs> curse them <laughs> aside from being led tasso, I guess, where he says it's all bullshit and stuff. So, I mean, like what, what was the thought you had there, Justin, on this second interaction? interaction with Dr. Fieldstone. Well, I think you see Ted start to break and mm -hmm. it doesn't happen very often. That's what makes this show so special 
is because you can write comedies or you can write dramas, but this is outside of really either of those boxes, really taking on these ideas that are hard to talk about and doing them in a comedic way. And you see Ted break a couple times throughout, you know, episodes and past the past season and stuff like that. But when Ted has those moments of breaking down, he's so vulnerable and, you know, coming to a session on his own, making that decision to walk through the door. I love the line. Uh, How'd you know I come back? And she says, because you said you don't quit. Mm -hmm. Cause she knew, you know, it's her job. Uh, she knows Ted inside and out and he's starting to get to know her and you know, Ted, the more he gets to know somebody, the more the trust builds, uh, mm-hmm. even if in the moment he doesn't have it completely. Yeah, absolutely. Craig, uh, what are you thinking here about Ted's take on therapy and, and why he does not like it? No, I, I, you know, there's obviously some past personal trauma there. And I think we're going to learn more and more about that as it goes along. We've already learned a bit about the divorce and how the marriage counselor didn't help him. But I think we're going to see this kind of unravel even more uh, as the season moves along. And hopefully as he starts to accept that maybe this is something that could be a positive benefit to him moving forward. But I guess we'll see where it goes from there. I think we do get to see that a little bit in the final session that they have in the episode, not to move you along, Mr. Host man. (laughs) Well, I mean, it seems like a good thing here. We could just do the big story beats here. So yeah, let's talk about that final session because yeah, this is where, again, we finally get this call out here where uh, Justin, to your point, Sarah Niles finally gets to not come, Cut loose, so to speak, because she mm. still has that, you know, Mr. Data uh, kind of <laughs> stoicism to her. But she does really call him out on what, you know, and uh, there's two interactions in this final session that I loved, which is one, I think Ted does surprise her when he answers her question with yes, when she asks if he would coach for free. I think that says a lot about Ted's uh, personality. And I think even though she had the right response to that, even in the moment, I think maybe she was expecting a no there. <laughs> but um, this is this is where we get the best lines of the episode, I think, and the most profound lines as well, where she's talking about how self-care is scary and stuff like that. And you're right. This is where I think Ted is starting to see that this is something someone he can trust and not someone he has to be wary of. Craig, is that the sense that you're getting here? Absolutely. I think you hit it right, uh, right where it needs to be. And I I think that, again, we're going to expand upon this and see where this goes from here uh, as far as his ability to interact with her and to interact with therapy in general. Justin, what do you think of this last interaction here? The only thing I would add is Ted is in himself a therapist, even if he doesn't commit to being one. You know, he uses the mental aspects of the game and and of people in general to, you know, gain their trust and and to become their friend and to let them trust him. So I think that once he knows that she's not there for a negative reason or, or, you know, to to get after him about something, Mm. that's when you see him start to open up to her. And I think he really does appreciate that line where she's like, hey, you pissed me off. Mm. You know, you made me mad. And, uh, you know, I don't appreciate it. And I think Ted, Ted kind of says, okay, if she's going to be vulnerable to me and say how she's feeling, then I can open up to her. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to give away the other lines because I have a feeling I'm going to say them for our Tedism section (laughs) Um, because they're great. They're really profound, Um, not necessarily comedy, but just you're right, like very timely for the moment here, too. Um, Let's go to the Roy Keeley aspect of this episode, the rest of this episode, because I want to close with Nate, because I think it has the 
Who, buddy? Uh, we, many, need to, we need to. I, I first, how many in this Zoom call have read the Da Vinci Code? Because <laughs> I definitely did. Right when it came out, it was like that, you know, everybody was reading it. And Roy perfectly says what we were all thinking that the chapters are so short, and that's so why you short. just can't put them mm-hmm. down. <laughs> Yep. It was so great. It made me feel like so good. I was like, I read 25 chapters of Da Vinci Code tonight. It was only 15 pages, but I read 25 chapters. It was so yeah. great. Scholar, One chapter was just scholars. a map. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but I mean, like that is, you're right though. The crux here is, um, you know, basically Keely is feeling a little suffocated by Roy in this whole episode. Um, as, and I, I love this little scene where, you know, she's trying to work, he's trying to do the boyfriend thing. And then he ultimately does what she says to go like read his book over on the couch and she's like well that's that's just sexy to me too and um, i just thought that that was a great way to do that but i also really like the conversations she's having with with rebecca and with higgins um and pretty much everyone else um in the clubhouse um about this uh you know relationship problem because it doesn't seem like it should be a problem right but it it sort of is i do love how it resolves itself to where roy has that realization and again i mean as if we needed any more roy kent is the perfect boyfriend analogies here. Um, just a freaking baller move at the end to, to make her a bath of stolen roses. Um, but guys, so Justin, what do you think of this story throughout this episode here about how Keely and Roy ultimately have this big fight and then come to another understanding with each other? My favorite part of the entire thing is that we talked a little bit how Roy is a father figure and we think he's going to be a father figure to, you know, not only the players, but to Jamie in particular. You can start to see it build. Mm-hmm. But he's the one thing that saves Roy is Jamie. You know, he's coaching Jamie and he's like, Oi, you know, he, you know, he's like, you're not doing the right thing, you know? And so he's, he's yeah, thing yeah, and Jamie's yeah. going, no, I am doing the right thing. Sometimes you need to give the people that you trust space mm-hmm. and you see the light bulb click. And then when <laughs> Keely walks in and sees his bag and she goes, Oh my gosh, you know, mm-hmm. you can see the, like hurt and disappointment that maybe this thing's over. It's how much he means to her. And you're right, man. Baller move. Ugh. Guys, <laughs> you need to be watching this Up show. Game, Watch this episode because Roy Kent handles it perfectly. He's like, I'll be back in four hours or three hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you enjoy, you know, and he's off to the races and she just gets to relax. So it's uh, fantastic, man. Really, really well done. God, and then he gets all to he- look bad. He gets to go to the pub or whatever for three yep. hours. And then, you know, it's just going to be the, the best time when he gets back. So yeah. um, <laughs> he's the man, Christmas dude, all over again. Sexy I Christmas, have, yeah. I have a shirt that says Roy Ken is my spirit animal. I love it. <laughs> dude. Love that guy. So, Justin, I have a question for you, sure. because I do think it's interesting when he keeps uh, barging in on Keely talking to seemingly everyone mm-hmm. about their relationship. <laughs> and he keeps going like, you talking about me? And then they're all like, yeah. And he's like, okay. okay. You know, and walks away. So do you think that that is slightly out of character from what we know of him? Because it seems like even though, even when he thinks that they are talking about things like hair in the drain or whatever, I feel like he would still care about that more than he's letting on in those scenes. Or am I, am I reading him wrong? I think, no, I think you've got it, but I think we've seen, like I was saying at the very beginning of the episode, I think we've seen Roy Kent at his total height of his character arc as far as lovability. Mm -hmm. And I think his confidence now with Keeley, you know, when you go back to season one, you know, even though he won't admit it in the first couple episodes, you know, he's got a thing for Keeley and he's watching her with Jamie 
you know, and he's so <laughs> frustrated. He's just like, come on, what are you dating this guy for? Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, but now he's so confident with her and she kind of builds him up into this new person where he can sit on, sit on the floor and read the Da Vinci code and, you know, uh, just make little quips about it. And he can do all these things that maybe he wouldn't have done before. So I think the two of them together now has made him a brand new character. I don't think, I don't think the Roy Kent of season one is anywhere near season two. Yeah, I agree with Great. you. There. Okay. And you're right, Justin, when uh, you call out Keely's reaction to seeing the bag, because that that's panic in her mm-hmm. in her voice and in her uh, in her motions running up the stairs. And just like, no, 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 no. And I love her uh, reaction when, you know, the fight first happens, when she when she finally explodes um, in a very apt Sex of the City episode that she's watching as well <laughs> about literally the exact same. Shut thing. up. Shut um, up. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love, though, like I don't think Juno Temple gets enough credit for how good she's she great. is in this part, um, because that is such a raw reaction. There is just like, she knows she's being ridiculous, but she just can't help it. And who of us can't, you know, <laughs> um, um, you know, identify with that. I certainly can really quick for you guys. Do you think when you look back at episode one and two of season one, and you look at Keely's character, did you ever think that she would all these episodes later turn into this person who, was trusted by so many and her opinion was trusted by so many. It's really amazing where she's gone over all these episodes. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting to dig into that writer's room and see if like how her character evolved over time. Was it because there was such a reaction to her that fans really loved her in the first season? So they decided to make her, you know, director of marketing and to like move her into that mm-hmm. position and get her really within the club. Um, because I, I don't know, it, it's it's like one of those characters that you hear these stories about where there's really supposed to be more of a, a side or supportive character, and then the fans just fall in love with them. And I feel like that might have happened a bit with Keeley. So it'd be interesting to sit Brendan Hunt or Brett Goldstein or Jason Sudeikis, you know, because all these guys are writers and actors for this mm-hmm. show, to sit them down and be like, so what was Keeley's character supposed to be? Was it this or was it something slightly different than this? You know, was she supposed to be the... Uh, famous for being famous, the Kim Kardashian of the show that's kind of dating the the big time stars. And I, you did see a little bit of that move in that relationship build with Rebecca in particular at the end of season one. But, I, you know, it's cool the direction that they've taken her. And I love her character overall. And you're definitely right, Jeremy, that Juno Temple doesn't get the same amount of accolades as even uh, like Hannah Waddingham does, you know, mm-hmm. because, but it's, it's just like that level of performance. It's just so fun and so great. And I mean, I know we're going to get into Tedism soon, but like her take on Ratatouille, I'm just <laughs> for, for us Disney guys, it's one perfect. of my favorite lines of the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> and only Juno Temple is the only one who could deliver that line that perfectly. Um, but before we get to Tedisms, let's get real here, guys, and talk about Nate the Great here, um, mm. acting not so great. Um, you know, I remember seeing a tweet um, somewhere along the line where somebody said, you know, I'm really not liking Nate this season. It was only after like episode three and Nick Muhammad actually responded to this tweet. And he said like, good, you're not supposed to. And I think now we see fully what he's talking about here, because this is a side of Nate 
I honestly never thought we would see. Um, and, you know, just because you always think about these people who are picked on or, you know, downtrodden, and you never really think of what if the shoe is on the other foot. Because remember in that first season, Colin was a part of those uh, guys who were making fun of him. I believe even Isaac was um, in those first couple of episodes um, at Jamie's behest and such. And now he has all this respect and now he's got this public cachet and you're right. It is going to his head in the sense that he is now mimicking those actions that were done to him in a very, very harsh way here. The interaction with Colin in his office is just so brutal to see just because we've come to love this character so much and to hear him say these things to him is just really jarring. Um, uh, Justin, what did you think of the, these interactions with Colin here and where Nate is heading? Okay. So, so for once again, as we talked about the great Roy Kent's character arc being at its high, mm-hmm. we are seeing Nate's character arc at its lowest. And from someone who's so lovable for so long, it's honestly like heart wrenching to watch mm. him. It's like watching a friend make terrible decisions, but you can't do anything about it. Yeah. And just the way he handles every situation is wrong. Like everyone, he can't seem to get one right. And, you know, with Colin walking in, Colin's there to, you know, try to try to make a hole, try to, you know, try to mend bridges and do all that. And he just puts him down. I mean, just brutally, brutally. puts him down. <laughs> and you just think, and you see it in Colin's face too, because Colin on the, on the pitch already is one of those players that needs to be lifted up and needs to be, you know, uh, you know, t- coached up instead of coached at, mm. you see him, he, you know, he's the only one on the team that has a mantra. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so as you're sitting there, uh, Here's this coach that's you know got this new fame in his head who's just coaching at him and is coaching mm-hmm. at him in a brutal, brutal way. So for me, this was maybe the lowest point of Nate up to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Craig, what did you think of this interactions with Colin here? And even the interactions uh, at the end of the episode with uh, the new Kit Kid, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, I know. I don't know if we get that, his name, do we? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they have, but I'll look it up while Craig's talking. But I mean, like just the end of this episode where he sees the first bad tweet about himself and all of a sudden, this kind gesture that is really, I think it is a show of respect that the players are trying to say, like, we see you as a part of this team. This is what we do. We kind of rib each other, but we love each other. And to just throw that back in his face like that so brutally again. Craig, what did you think of these interactions for Nate here? It, Nate's story arc is kind of like a, a rags to riches story, right? Because he's going from the equipment manager all the way up to being a coach and then really reaching the height in this episode of what he can do as a coach. He's being told that he needs his own club and Mm -hmm. uh, everyone is just telling him that he is this wonderkin, right? So it's just, it's really, um, it's a tough story arc to see because we know those people that once you give them just a little bit of power, they are going to run with that and uh, be terrible to other people. That whole like holiday in art piece thing, that was just mean. Like that's yeah. all that was. It was just mean. mean. And um, so I do feel for Colin in that, in that scene as well. Uh, and then it is like at the very end of this episode, we don't end on the great note of uh, Keely and Roy and that like special moment that Roy is prepared for Keely. We ended on uh, Nate reading that bad tweet and it really mm-hmm. breaking him, like immediately breaking him because the whole episode, he's been just seeing how great everybody thinks he is and how smart he is. And then that one negative tweet. And that is kind of 
the whole, that's the whole idea of being a narcissist, right? Because you just need that whole positive reinforcement all of the time. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to Nate from here, because he is going to be knocked off his perch a little bit. He probably needs it. Honestly, he probably needs a bit of a kick in the butt, you know, to um, go back to being someone that can come up with these great ideas and someone that can be a good coach, but learning that little bit of humility will go a long way in his coaching career as well. So we'll see where it ends up going from here. Will Kitman. Will. Okay. <laughs> and I go. love his last name's Kitman. Kitman. <laughs> yeah. Get it? Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, but he, he gets the brutal brunt of it for no reason at all. Yeah, not hasn't done anything. There's no. not, and I mean, you know, it, it, Nate's been antagonistic between to him this season, but it always seems to be more comedy based. And it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, you're putting flavor in the water, and you know, I'd say like, doesn't yeah. doesn't make a good water. I think is yeah, the problem exactly. too, right? Now you're right. Like this is getting personal, and uh, you know, you talked about knocking him off the perch. I was glad that Beard did that mm. in this episode a little bit because the way that he said it, like Beard is the perfect messenger for that because he is so dry and because there's not going to be any fluff to this. And I love that he just said like, no, it was weird what you said to him. Like it was, it was very, very weird how mean you were to him. And then he just looked at him and said, be, be- do better. And I, you know, I, I really liked that. Justin, what did you think of that interaction? Well, also you noticed that a lot of his uh, actions uh, Nathan's actions come from um, fear, I think, more than mm-hmm. anything. You know, he's afraid that Roy's going to take the spotlight. He's afraid. He's afraid that Ted's going to find out what happened. Mm. He instantly says, did you tell Ted? Yeah. It's almost like a child that's been caught doing something. Did you tell dad? You know, he's he's afraid of, you know, he knows his place. He knows where he's at in the hierarchy of things. And he, in his head, is, you know, maybe higher. But whenever it comes down to it, He's terrified. He's mm-hmm. terrified of his dad. He's terrified of, you know, uh, upsetting Ted, terrified of beard. Um, so I think overall, this all comes stems from some fear from something. So, yeah. And definitely also just coming to mind now with not getting the affirmation that he wanted from his dad, really the tweets and the public is the only place he's getting that affirmation because you're right. Yep. There's a very subtle thing in that Tottenham game when um, Roy does the signal to Jamie and then mm-hmm. Jamie makes that shot. If you notice it and go back and watch it, if you haven't everyone, but like when he goes to give Roy like a tap on the shoulder and everything, he literally nudges Nate out of the way. Like when he does that and they linger on Nick Muhammad just a little bit in that mm-hmm. shot. And so you're right. Like there's just so much inadequacy that he's feeling, even though he's got this publicity now. And yes, you're right. That rage is just coming out towards who can he degrade? You know, the people that are below him, Colin and Will and and these other people. So I really hope that that gets resolved because I don't like this side of Nate. I like my, <laughs> I like my smart, soft-spoken Nate, but uh, you know what else is not soft-spoken Craig and Justin? I think it's time. Time for some Tedisms. Tedisms. Where each week we share biscuits of truth. That is right. Tedisms, where we are going to give you our favorite lines of the episode here. And boy, howdy, were there a bunch of them. Uh, Craig, do you want to start us off with some Tedisms here? I will, but I also want to say we always mention that Larry Smith, our uh, one of our other co-hosts, <laughs> is the dulcet tones there on our Tedisms. I don't think we've ever actually said that he has his own show called Convince Me with Larry Smith. Very true. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> uh, there was a guest, Craig McFarland, on it uh, at <laughs> one point. 
Uh, that guy is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So check that out. (laughs) No, his show, he's a stand-up comedian, a great guy. Check out convince me of Larry Smith. And he has a a great Sam Elliott impression apparently. So we thank him for that. (laughs) Um, no, to me, like I said, uh, earlier in earlier episodes, whenever Disney or Pixar is referenced in a Ted Lasso (laughs) show, I do have to go with that line. And I will say, because uh, we might be having, this, this might be, well, I'd say that this is a little bit rated R. So I would say that, um, especially if you are from the Disney dads podcast listening, because Justin's <laughs> on this episode, just know that this is a little less family friendly because you're most Keely says, meet him. Who fucking cares if what his favorite movie is and Ratatouille is a goddamn masterpiece. And ironically, it's about a snobbery and how good art can come from anywhere. So stop divering and go fuck your cartoon rat. It's so perfect. I mean, just the way that she delivers it. Is so, so, so great. And oh my God. Totally makes me look at Ratatouille in a completely different way. It's so fantastic. Well, um, it, it's funny because you and I, Oh, when I heard that line, I thought, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you kidding me? This is fantastic. And I'll Absolutely. tell you, I'll tell you out, out of the Pixar movies, we, uh, we ranked those on my other show. And I would say Ratatouille was like middle of the pack for me, but there are people out there that love Ratatouille and I get it. I get it. The more I watch it now, but, um, Keely obviously is a fan. New musical Ratatouille, of course. Justin, you got a line for me here? A couple well, of them? It's funny you say, that is definitely one of mine. As soon as it was said, I was like, <laughs> drop the mic, we're out. That's perfect for me being a Disney person. Uh, I'm sure, Craig, you're like, I think Justin's coming on the show. He's going to like that line as a Tedism. <laughs> right, uh, absolutely. I'm going to go with something else that's very simple. And it's, look, you could pick one of a thousand of these. I love Ted's quips, his little ones. Okay. Doesn't have to be huge. Doesn't have to be something that's just mind blowing. I don't know why this got me, but it was so fast and so just, just quickly delivered when he just goes, darn tootin', Vladimir Putin. Like, I, <laughs> it's it, so perfect. It's so stupidly dumb and awesome. Like, yep. I just love it. Yeah. Like, if you were to say that to, to anybody, they would look at you like you're insane. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody well, did, somebody did, you know, like those like shattered glass things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes back to how I met your mother, that episode yep. where they shattered the glass and in mm-hmm. the new, that's all you see somebody in a, a Ted Lasso group that I'm in on Facebook, um, posted a picture of Ned Flanders and that's all they p- posted. And now like that's when he says things like that, that is all oh I can think God. Oh my God. That is great. on point. Okay. That is on point. Craig, Craig knows me so well. He just put three of my favorite things in the world all in one little ball. The Simpsons, How I Met Your Mother, and Ted Lasso. I could do any <laughs> reference from any three of these, and we could do this all night long. Slap Bet. Slap Bet is one of the, it's probably the best 22 minutes of television ever made. Slaps Giving is one of my favorite. When they break into song at the end, one of my <laughs> yeah. favorites of all time. It's so good. There's too many great episodes. I mean, Subway yeah. Wars, I love too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll just skip that last season. That's all. So we're all yes. starting a, a Hemium podcast here coming up. It sounds like, uh, uh, no, but I will, I, I, anytime uh, Craig knows this, that Beard gets a nice baby in there, I have to say it. So before Darn Tootin' Vladimir Putin, he had to do Game Face, baby. So I'm going to give that one there. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the more, you know, deep ones uh, from Sharon Fieldstone in this um, because they were just, man, and really, really good in that, in that last scene there where she says, um, first the the truth will set you free but first it'll piss you off Mm -hmm. um which is 
so insanely true. Um, and then, of course, this one actually sounds a lot like Ted. So I can't be your mentor without occasionally being your tormentor, which is pretty great. <laughs> you knew Ted was going to love that line. Oh, he's he's instantly goes, I, I, that's that's not. And he goes, I know you'd like that. You know, yeah. it's just like she, she knew she almost had that just in the holster ready to rock and roll for him. So, yeah, you know, she was thinking about that one. <laughs> Craig, any more from you? I would say uh, Sam and Rebecca, you know, we didn't mm. delve into that storyline too much after learning at the end of episode six. How are we, how are we feeling about on this the real quick here? How are we feeling? Because some of the fan communities are weirded out by the age. What, what, you know, I mean, I think that it's, it's funny, like looking at this from a, um, I think you can go a lot of different ways with it. First of all, banter is a hilariously bad idea to not <laughs> know at all the person you're talking to. But second, uh, I wonder, you know, and this isn't me just like throwing bombs and running away from them, but I wonder if the age thing would matter to people as much if uh, it was reversed, if My Sam was question. older My exact uh, question. and Rebecca was younger. Uh, and, you know, I think we'll see where it goes. I think that this could have some potential here. I'd like to see this evolve a little bit. I can't imagine that they have built this up for several episodes to not have some kind of payoff coming up. So uh, I think we will learn a lot more about Rebecca and Sam, but I do love Sam has these like super philosophical lines that he delivers every now and then. We got a couple of them in the Christmas episode. We got one here too, where he just looked at Rebecca and said, these machines, huh? We've never been so connected, but felt so further apart. And I just love that. I love those kind of philosophy 101 right here in Ted Lasso. You know, the reason why I'm okay with this even more than anything is because their very first interaction, he did that to her when he was talking about JK Rowling and how she has more money than the queen and how he loves that. It's for something that she put into the world instead of just who her family was. And that like took Rebecca back for a beat. And that was all the way back in like episode two people. So it's been building this way. All right. So just, just get on board here. Justin, any, any qualms about this? A couple things. One, you see Rebecca, start to really appreciate uh sam when he stands up you know with the team for what's going on Mm -hmm. um two uh and that's going back a little bit two i love the fact that we see and there's one scene in particular you see sam he's just this eternal optimist he's this he's you know always looking at the phone you know he's just he he thinks love is something special and then you see then you see rebecca and she's sitting on the on the uh couch with keely and she's just like Love's stupid. You know, relationships are dumb. Like, you know, like <laughs> just they couldn't be more opposite. And then also third, if you, you hit it on the nail, Craig, it's absolutely perfect because if this was flipped, no one would take a second thought about it. Mm-hmm. Look at the relationship that her ex-husband has now with his new wife. Right. And you're talking about 40 years in between them with a child on the way. New Rebecca. New Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and no one, no one blinks an eye. So I think that's uh, definitely a keen observation on your part. I'm kind of glad we haven't had a Rupert sighting yet this season. So <sighs> we'll know. see if we keep that streak going. That was one of my least favorite theories on the banter co- uh, banter chatter was that it was going to be oh, Rupert. Ooh, people Rupert. thought it was him. Uh, yeah. Uh, really? Uh, I, saw, I saw a bit of Yuck. that on there. And a lot, okay. of course, a lot of Ted, but that was a yeah, classic. Yeah, that's to be That expected. was a classic hymn, like, you know, girl yeah. in the bar. Uh, uh, oh, the, know, they for sure. There. Like, what was that episode? Was that episode five that they yeah. really hinted that it might be Ted? Yeah, yeah, when he's yeah, like texting after to she him. Knows. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Anyway. All right, folks, that's episode seven. We've got to get out of here because we're way past our bedtime. I don't know. Um, so um, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Peter Butter and Biscuits. Of course, we will be back next week for episode eight. Oh, God, there's so few episodes left and we hate it. <laughs> Can I just I, I say like out there before we completely sign off that this show is getting uh, a lot of downloads and a lot of people interested in this. So thank you for finding us. Thank you yeah, for man. listening to us, but we want to know who you are. So please email us at frontrowlasso at gmail.com or go to the Front Row Network uh, social media because then you can reach out to us that way as well. We just want to know who you are because it's great that you're listening. It's really cool that you're listening. Thank you so much for finding us. And if you have any Lasso friends out there, make sure they get on board too. Absolutely. Justin, where can people find you? Let them know. Uh, Yep. Disney Dads Podcast, uh, www.disneydadspodcast.com. You can find our podcast anywhere you want to find podcasts at. Uh, Facebook, all the social medias, Disney Dad Podcast family. Uh, look, you Google Disney Dads Podcast. We're pretty much the only one you're going to find. So uh, <laughs> great community. And uh, definitely, if you like Disney, if you like positivity, if you like Ted Lasso, you'll like us. So come over and check us out. Uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to seeing you over there. Could not agree with that assessment anymore. So that is going to do it for this episode. Again, we'll see you next week for episode eight for peanut butter and biscuits. I'm Jeremy. I'm Craig. I'm Justin. <laughs> and as always, be a goldfish, everyone. See you later. Good to be a bo- goldfish. Good to be a goldfish. The joy of Zoom. The joy of Zoom. I can make that work. I can make that work. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.